that hypnotized the sailors who came near to that island, that they gazed upon the beautiful maiden and they were drawn in by that song and her beauty. But as soon as they got close, she became a horrible monster that ate them. And so that's the way it is with sin. It's so alluring and hypnotizing and we're drawn in and then consumed. There are sins in our lives that can become destructive habits. The church fathers mentioned seven deadly sins. They used that as a diagnostic tool to help Christians recognize and defeat sin in their lives. Probably the first one who did this was Gregory the Great in around 600 AD. He came up with this list of seven deadly sins. He said that it would lead to eternal destruction and give birth to other sins. Now, the Bible itself doesn't list Gregory's seven together. It certainly does individually. But a couple places in the Bible have lists of sins. For example, Proverbs 6. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Galatians five nineteen and following, Paul's list. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Gregory's seven were greed, gluttony, sloth, lust, pride, envy, and wrath. And ancient Catholic writers sometimes paired each of those seven with seven demons, such as Mammon, Beelzebub, and Leviathan. And throughout history, writers have written about these seven. For example, Dante in The Divine Comedy, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, Marlowe's Tragedy of Dr. Faustus. Spencer's Fairy Queen, movies like Seven and Bedazzled, comic strips like Captain Marvel have included them in the video game Overlord. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at each of those seven deadly sins. But today I want to lay the foundation. I want us to talk about breaking free from sin in our lives, and then you can use this sermon today is kind of a template for each of the seven that we're going to cover. So let's begin scripturally from Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read this passage out of the Living Bible. Paul says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But I know that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. 
I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Can you relate to that this morning? I sometimes do what I don't want to do. I'm a civil war. I'm Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. I don't know if you've ever made a New Year's resolution. I'm going to change this in my life. And for a few weeks, you're doing great, but then you go back the way you were. Good intentions aren't good enough. Paul says here in the text, I'm confused. I don't understand. My behavior baffles me. Why do I keep making the same mistakes over and over again? Why am I so resistant to change? He's frustrated. He has the desire, but not the power. If you've ever dieted, you can relate to this. You're good for a few days or maybe a few weeks, but then temptation comes and you cave. You lose all willpower. Your idea of a balanced diet is a Big Mac in each hand. And self-help books help very little. They have good ideas in them, but don't offer the power to help you change. They tell you, stop being so negative. And you say, yes, I should stop being so negative, but I can't help it. Paul is discouraged. In Romans 7, 24, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm losing the battle. My life's a mess. Forget it. I'm done trying. I'll never change. Well, if you've ever felt that way, I have good news for you today. You can change and power is available to you through Jesus Christ. I pray that these next seven weeks and today will help you if you're struggling with a besetting sin. I want to encourage you that you don't have to stay in a cycle of defeat and despair. Jesus said in John 8, 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth is propositional. It's facts. It's based on reality, how things really are. But truth is also a person, the person of Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth and the life. We need both. The way to break free from a bondage and cycle of sin is to know and apply truth. The way you think determines how you feel, and how you feel determines how you act. If I'm laying around all the time discouraged, it's because I'm feeling discouraged, and I'm feeling discouraged because I'm thinking discouraging thoughts. Now, I'm not talking about a chemical imbalance, something physiological that a doctor in medicine needs to look at here. We, we focus a lot of times on our actions instead of getting to the root of the problem, which is our thinking. Like Roundup, that, that spray, you spray that on weeds in your yard, and you spray it on the leaves, but the chemical goes down into the roots and kills it at the root. 
and the plant dries up. And that's what we have to do with sin. Get to the root of the thinking, which is our thinking. Bad beliefs lead to bad behaviors. Somewhere along the line, maybe in my childhood, maybe later in adulthood, I believed the lies of the world system and the enemy. Something about God that isn't true or myself or the world or others. And if it's not the truth, it leads me eventually to bad choices. And bad choices, bad behaviors repeated over time become bad habits. They become impulsive and involuntary and compulsive. I call it the cycle of sin. It goes something like this. There's some kind of desire or pain or perceived lack that I feel. So I obsess about it. I think about it all the time. And I want relief from it. So I yield to temptation, which temporarily gives me a sense of relief. It temporarily anesthetizes my pain and provides momentary enjoyment. But then I feel guilt and shame for my choices And the cycle repeats itself all over again. Sin has become a habit in my life. And I've become a slave of sin. Paul says in Romans 6.16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. The slave is always on the clock. If I take a thread here and I wrap it around my finger, this is a very, very thin thread. I wrap it around a couple fingers a couple times. You know what? I, I can break it off easily. So one or two times, it just seems like that's, that's not a problem. But if I take that same thread and I wrap it around my two fingers five times, ten times, fifteen times, It's much more difficult to break. So that thing has become a habit. Satan wants you bound. God wants you free. Let's look this morning at the steps of becoming free from sin in our lives. Number one, I must want to change. In John 5, 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, that seems like a strange question, doesn't it? This man's laying here at this pool where he hopes to be healed. He's been laying there, I think it's 38 years. Isn't he there because he wants to be healed? Not necessarily. We don't always want to be free because remember, sin is does provide temporary pleasure and enjoyment. And we convince ourselves it's not so bad. We get used to it. We rationalize and minimize our sin. But sin is an affront to God. He hates it. It separates us from him. And God will either judge sin or forgive it. Eventually, even our secret sins become known, either sometime later in our life or in heaven. They keep me from my full potential. They ruin my future. They consume time and energy. I must get to the place where I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of this bondage in my life. I must want to be free from the chains. Our our painter, who's doing a fantastic job, 
around our church, by the way, Tim Hall. We were having a conversation, and he told me a neat story, an interesting story, a sad story of his neighbor's dog when he was growing up. The neighbor's dog was outside, had a house outside, and it had a, it had a small chain that it was tied up to, you know, maybe something like about that length. And the family always felt bad for the dog. Like, wow, that's not a very long chain. Let, let's get it a longer chain. So they, they gave it a longer chain, maybe something like this. The longer chain enabled the dog to run around its house in a bigger circle than it was able to before. Now it could climb up on its house. So they saw that the dog seemed to be really excited with that longer chain. So they got it an even longer chain, maybe one like this. They came out one morning and found that the dog had jumped over their fence and hung himself. So do you really want a longer chain? Or do you want to be free? Secondly, I must have a plan. Without a plan... All I'm left with is my willpower. And today, I have a lot of willpower. But tomorrow, my willpower is weak. The Bible says the truth shall set you free. So let's look at Scripture. What does scriptural truth prescribe? What's my plan? Letter A. Renew my thinking. I have to renew my thinking. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the unsaved person has a nature problem. They can only be in sin. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't occasionally do good deeds. Acts 28 is an example of that. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. But the state of their soul is in opposition to God. Now, the Christian has an information problem. They think, this is how I am. I'll never change. And that's not true. They need to know the truth. Sin isn't the Christian's natural habitat like it is for the unbeliever. The unbeliever is in sin. The Christian is in Christ. The atmosphere in which the Christian dwells is Christ. The Christian has a new ruling principle of his life. He's been made holy by God. He's been justified by faith and has peace with God. He needs to know this. She needs to know this to renew their thinking. In Romans 6, 1 through 4 and verse 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
we too might walk in newness of life. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Grace abounds to sinners. So some in this community were thinking, if I can just keep on sinning more and more, I'll get more and more grace. And Paul says, that's a crazy idea. To continue in sin, to go on sinning there in the text is in the present tense. It means to stay, remain, reside. It's become an everyday habit. Sin shouldn't be the everyday habit for the believer because he's died to sin. First John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So does this mean, well, I'm dead, I'm dead to sin, so I'll never sin again? No. Death in the Bible never means extinction. It means separation. Like at physical death, my spirit that lives forever is separated from my body at death. It isn't extinct. I'm separated from the ruling power of sin. It no longer has power and authority over me. You know, you could take your pig and dress it up in a real frilly little dress and put a pretty red ribbon and it's really coarse hair. And you let it outside. What is it going to do? It's going to run right back to the mud. It's going to wallow in the mud because that's its nature. You're not a pig. It's not your nature to do that. You might choose to wallow in the mud, but you don't have to now. Paul uses the metaphor of baptism to make a point. He says it's symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Water in baptism is like a grave. You go down under the water. You're buried with Christ in baptism. It's like you've You've died to your sin. It's showing that. It's a word picture. Then you're raised up out of the water to newness of life, to resurrected life. You're a new person. You're a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. You have a new life. You're not turning over a new leaf. You have a new power source that is Christ within. And if you've never been baptized by immersion, I encourage you to do so. And probably within a month, we're going to have our very own portable baptistry, which we can do baptisms here. I'm looking forward to that. Romans 6.11 says, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves dead or count yourselves dead to sin. That phrase means to place into another's account. Let's say, for instance, you owe someone $1,000 and you don't have the money. But someone else puts that money into your account and now you can pay off your debt and pay your creditor. God has done that for you in Christ. Christ has paid your penalty. You don't owe your old sin nature anything anymore. Another example, let's say you were in the military and an officer approaches you. You're compelled to salute that officer and come to attention. And if he says to you, get down and give me 50, you jump down on the ground and give 50 push-ups. You, you have to do it. But what if you've been discharged from military service and you see that officer and he comes up to you and tells you to get down and give me 50? You don't have to do it anymore. His authority over you has been broken. 
the power of sin in your life and over you has been broken. So don't obey its orders. That's the truth. You have died from the have to of sin. If you know the truth, that will renew your thinking. And God always works through his word because it's the truth. I put verses in your sermon notes today that you could take home this week and meditate upon them. Briefly, what's the truth about us? We've been chosen. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're a child of God. Victory is ours in Christ. We're dead to sin, but alive in Christ. We're loved by God. We have everlasting life. We have peace with God. We're a new creation in Christ. We're more than conquerors in him. We're seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Go to the word of God every day and let it renew and change your thinking. That's the first part of my plan. The B is avoid the circumstances that trigger the bad habit. Avoid the circumstances that trigger the bad habit. There's always a trigger for sin. Those of you who like to fish know that's what fishing is all about, providing a trigger for the fish. So you present that lure into the water, and and that lure or rubber worm, whatever you're using, it, it moves in such a way that's so enticing to the fish, it gets the fish's attention. The fish wants it. It may not even be hungry, but there's just something in it. I have to attack that. And that he attacks that lure, and what happens? All those treble hooks get caught in his mouth. And what happens? You reel him in, and he becomes dinner. So we have to avoid that thing. A- avoid those sites on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at. Avoid that friend who's a bad influence in your life. Get away from it or him or her. Romans thirteen fourteen says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Another translation is don't, don't think about those things, which is forethought, foreplanning to provide for. We make plans to sin. Instead, make plans to starve the trigger. Like Joseph, who ran away from Potiphar's wife, we run away from sin, those situations that get us into trouble. Second Timothy 2.22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Avoid the places and people that trigger sin. Maybe you're going to have to fire some of your old friends and get some new ones. Have an accountability partner. Don't go it alone. If you're struggling in some area, have someone come alongside and help you. The C in my plan is rebuke the devil. Rebuke the devil. You know what? Sometimes we need to run like Joseph did, but sometimes... The devil needs to run. James 4, 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In your own strength, you're not stronger than him, but in Christ, you are, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 1 John 4, 4 says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So I discern when the enemy is tempting 
me. I'm, I'm not ignorant of his schemes and devices. I use scripture to rebuke him. I stand on the power and authority of God's word, which is over him. And the D in my plan is to replace the drug you've been using with God. Replace the drug you've been using with God. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I feel that many Christians don't know all that's available to them in Christ. They don't really know how he can satisfy all of their needs and their deepest needs. Psalm 90 verse 14 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. There's just so much more to discover in a relationship with God. There really is no ceiling to your spiritual growth. So it's not enough to merely avoid the bad. I need to replace it and pursue the good. Fill yourselves with good and godly things. We've been filling the lack in our souls with more food and money and drugs and revenge and anger and another person, which do not ultimately satisfy us like God. Lord God, give us a greater revelation of you that we may hunger and thirst for you more. So my plan is to reckon myself dead to sin, run from it, rebuke Satan, and replace the old with the new. That's a pretty good plan. And when I blow it, ask forgiveness. Come to the Lord and say, God, I did it again. I messed up. Would you please forgive me? And he will. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he uses the word all there, all sin. And that's hopeful and encouraging. Don't live in defeat and guilt. Don't let Satan win. Don't quit. As we close our service here, and the praise team is going to come back and end with a song, I just would ask that you would use that time of quiet reflection and just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, move in my heart right now. Is there something that you're convicting me of? Is your finger pointing to something in my life? You know, revivals, personal revivals, corporate revivals, almost always begin with repentance. Let me close with this prayer from Neil Anderson in his book, Breaking Bondages. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you and honor you as my Lord and Savior. You are in control of all things. I thank you that you are always with me and will never leave me nor forsake me. You are the only all-powerful and only wise God. You are kind and loving in all your ways. I love you and thank you that I'm united with Christ and spiritually alive in him. I choose not to love the world or the things of the world, and I crucify the flesh and all its passions. Thank you for the life I now have in Christ. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I may say no to sin and yes to you. Lord, do that right now. I declare my total dependence 
upon you. And I take my stand against Satan and all his lying ways. I choose to believe the truth of God's word, despite what my feelings may say. I refuse to be discouraged. You are the God of all hope. Nothing is too difficult for you. I am confident that you will supply all my needs as I seek to live according to your word. I thank you that I can be content and live a responsible life through Christ who strengthens me. I now take my stand against Satan and command him and all his evil spirits to depart from me. I choose to put on the full armor of God so that I might be able to stand firm against all the devil's schemes. I submit my body as a living and holy sacrifice to God, and I choose to renew my mind by the living word of God. By so doing, I will be able to prove that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect for me. In the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Let's stand.